Welcome to Dominion Today with Kevin and Chantel Davis, a podcast where you will learn how to discover your calling, live your purpose, and fulfill your destiny. By listening to these episodes, you'll build the confidence you need to operate in dominion and authority so you can walk in the revelation of the victory that belongs to you in Christ Jesus. Now, here's your host, Kevin Davis. And this morning's title is The Mystery of Financial Dominion. And this is a topic that is very important and also a topic that is close to my heart. One of the things that I released to those who were on the Google Meet with me on Thursday as we spoke about church membership and those who have expressed a desire to take that next step and to, in essence, formalize their commitment to the vision of this church and to this house and to submit to the spiritual authority of that which is Dominion Church and to belong to something bigger than themselves. The one thing that I was sharing towards the end, and it was something that just prophetically just came out of me, was when I spoke of the fact that I'm believing that what God is about to do in this house among each and every one of you is I'm seeing the emergence of multi-millionaires. I am seeing the emergence of multi-millionaires. So you can decide this morning whether or not you would live to be included among that group. If it is this morning that you say, well, that's not me, well, then this morning's message is most probably just going to go over your head. But I encourage you to grab a hold of this revelation today because it makes no difference where you come from. It makes no difference where you were born. Your upbringing does not have to determine the rest of your story. Your history does not have to dictate as to your destiny. It doesn't matter where you were born. It doesn't matter what language you were raised in. The color of your skin does not make any difference. What makes a difference is, first of all, how you see yourself. Understanding whom God has made you to be. Whom God has called you to be. And having the revelation of who you are in Christ Jesus. And so this is why this message is not for multimillionaires, but for individuals who dare to take God at His word. It doesn't matter what your bank account looks like this morning. I'm here to declare to you today, the time has come for you to unlock the mystery and walk in the revelation and the fullness of financial dominion. And come on, if that is you, come on, just give him praise and say, that is me in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. You see, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation. There is freedom, liberation found in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said that I have come so that you might have life, so that you might have it more abundantly. 
abundantly until it overflows. Jesus came to give you a life that is supposed to be marked by the overflow of his goodness. Because that is what it means to truly prosper. It's not just God meeting your need. That is a lie from the pit of hell. God does not just want to provide you or grant you your daily bread. He wants your life to speak of an overflow in every single area. Why? So that you might be a blessing to those around you. People need to be able to look at you and when you enter a room, there should come a peace, a calmness over the people Knowing, here comes the man with the solution. Here comes the woman with the answers. That when you are there, there is safety. There is peace. And there is prosperity. But there are so many who get upset with a message that even starts this way. And this is why this morning I'm going to rattle every religious demon. Because there will be those who will very quickly point out and say, well, Pastor, you're one of those prosperity preachers. Well, if that is how you would like to classify me, well, then that's fine. Because I want to categorically state that I will most definitely not identify as a poverty preacher. There are many of those. And by all means, if you want to sit among the camp of those who preach poverty and to even make a vow of poverty by all means you can leave right now but when it comes to that which i read and what i find in the bible it speaks of wealth it speaks of prosperity and abundance that is what god has made available to all of us that is something that he made available to a man with the name of Abram before he became Abraham. And he entered into covenant with him. And that we read in Genesis 12. And then in Genesis chapter 13, it says that Abraham became very rich, extremely rich in livestock, in camels, in silver, and in gold. That's the Bible. That's what it means to enter into covenant with God. That is the gospel. And so it's, I, I, I'm yet to find the, the phrase or the term prosperity gospel. Because there is no such thing as a prosperity gospel. There is the gospel. And when you read the Bible, it is very clear that it is not just a book of promises. It is a book of instruction, the adherence of which leads to the promises. And so it's not just promise. It starts with instruction. Here's a few verses for you. Psalm 35, 27. Depending on the translation that you read, it comes down to this. Any which way you cut it, that God delights in the prosperity of his people. 
God delights. God smiles, in other words. God gets excited to see his children prosper. That's what God wants for you. That's what he wants for your children and your children's children. That's what he wants for all those who will come after you, that you would prosper. Settle it within yourself today that prosperity is of God. That prosperity should be your portion. Do not believe the lie of the enemy that somehow God wants you poor and miserable and addicted to everything that this world has to offer. That's a lie from the pit of hell. And I will challenge any one. Because there will be those who say, well, I don't, I don't believe in it. Well, then don't believe in it. And then there will be those who say, well, you know what? No. Prosperity cannot be of God. And they come with such fake humility, false humility. It sounds so noble. You know, well, I, I, I would rather have nothing but have Jesus. You can have both. It's never been a situation of having to choose between being prosperous or being saved. You can be saved and your salvation be intact while you prosper. Proverbs 10.22, we all know this so well, says the blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich. And he addeth no sorrow with it. What does the blessing of God produce? The blessing of God maketh a man rich. There's no other way to go about it. But listen to these conditions. Isaiah 1.19, it says, If ye be willing and obedient. Did you get that condition? If ye be willing, you, there, it requires a willingness, but also it requires obedience. If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. The good of the land. How many of you know that to eat poorly does not require much finances? How many of you know that the opposite, to eat healthy, requires some finances? You can fill a trolley for under 500 rands of things that are just going to lead to a lot of health complications. You might feel full, but it's not good for you. But filling a trolley with things that are good for you, that are healthy, is going to cost you four, five, six times as much. But the Bible says that we are not of those who would have to contend with filling a trolley with the most unhealthy of food items. Things that on a molecular level possibly 
wouldn't even qualify as food. Because it has been so corrupted by the hand of man because of greed and profit. The Bible says, if ye be willing and obedient, you will eat the good of the land. The very best that this nation has to offer. And so it begins with, again, a mental shift. Because it might even be that there are certain stores that you have not even considered yourself worthy of entering and purchasing things from there. Why? Because that's expensive. It comes down to a mentality and a mindset. Why is it that the people who are in and of this world, why is it that the wicked can enter into those stores and buy the best that the land has to offer while God's people have to go into shops that are geared towards those who are poor. It starts right here in the mind. But listen to this condition as well. Job 36, 11. It says, if they obey and serve him, they shall spend their days in prosperity and their years in pleasantness and joy. So that expels this other idea of, well, I'd, I'd rather have just a little bit of money, but, but, you know, I'm happy. How many of you know money cannot buy you happiness? Praise God. I know wealthy people that are seriously wealthy. And let me tell you, they are happy. I know some people who have nothing. And they are most definitely not happy. But this is how we talk. And we are surrounded by people who talk like this as a means of justifying poverty and lack. You have to settle it within yourself that poverty is not of God. Poverty is a curse. And you might say, Pastor Kevin, that sounds extremely harsh. And this is not me trying to pinpoint shame any person who might be considered poor. That might be where you are at now. But again, I'm challenging a mindset. Because you could be a person with financial means. I'm talking about having funds available but you could still look poor. You could still sound poor. And you will make even business decisions with a poverty mentality. Why? Because it is a mindset. And before it is even a mindset, it is a spirit. And this is why there are many who think poor irrespective of what they even have available. It is a spirit. And so make the decision today to say that as far as myself and my home and my business is concerned, we will prosper.
few other misconceptions about prosperity is people would say that, you know what, money is the root of all evil. How many times have you heard that? I hear it all the time. And how many of you know the Bible says that, you know, money is the root of all evil? No, 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 no. Please don't even quote the Bible if you're not even in church. Don't even quote the Bible if you're going to just totally twist the words of God. How dare you? Because the Bible does not say that money is the root of all evil. What it does say in 1 Timothy 6 verse 10 is that the love of money is the root of all evil. It's not what you have that is wrong. It's what you love. It's what you worship. That is the issue. It's not what you have. It's what you love. Another misconception is the fact that there are many who would say, well, you cannot have both God and money. Again, they are trying to get you to the place of having to make a choice between either or. But Matthew chapter 6 verse 24 says that you cannot serve both God and money. So it's not about not being able to have both God and money. The Bible specifically mentions you cannot serve both God and money. And this is why when you actually walk in the revelation of true biblical prosperity, where you have financial dominion, you understand that money ultimately is a tool that you do not just, um, or money does not have you, but that you have money. That you do not serve money, but money serves you. You put your money to work for you instead of you having to work for money. Can you see the difference? Again, it comes down to a mindset. And so when we talk about having financial dominion, We need to understand that when God ultimately said in the beginning for man to have dominion, it includes financial dominion. Why? Because the world today operates by means of finances, of money. And in Deuteronomy 15 and verse 4, it says very clearly the words of God to His people. And he made this statement. He says, but there will be no poor among you, for the Lord will surely bless you in the land which the Lord your God gives you for an inheritance to possess. Not only does it speak of God's blessing upon his people, and I know that you can say, well, you know, this was for the Israelites. You know, this is a, a promise to the Jews. Pastor Kevin, we are Christians. We are part of a new covenant. Yes, it is a better covenant based on better promises. If this was available to a group of people that the book of Corinthians calls a stiff-necked people, if this was available to a people of an old covenant before the finished work of the cross, if this was their portion under an inferior covenant, how much more do we not have access to today? 
God says specifically, there shall be no poor among you. God does not want to see poor among any of his people. He does not want to look at his people and see poverty staring back at him. Because God has empowered us to prosper. And also in this very same portion of scripture, God even specifically talks about the fact that he has made land available. Land ownership. Having a right, a fundamental right. And when God looks at land, I want you to know that God is not against any of us owning land, owning property, cultivating land, working in the land to produce wealth. God is not against it. In fact, God is expecting us to do it. But then there are so many Christians who walk around with an attitude and a mindset once more. Well, on this earth, we do not need to own anything because how many of you know one day in heaven we will all own a mansion of our own? Do not believe the lie that you have to succumb to the will of a landlord. What is a landlord? It is a person who has the right to lord over you, to dictate the terms to you. Which is why we saw during even the the height of the pandemic, where there were churches who owned the land, that the church was built on versus those who rented facilities. Those who rented facilities were at the mercy of the landlord. And if the landlord said, you cannot occupy that space because we're afraid of some virus, then you could not occupy that space. But if you owned that piece of land, you can exercise your constitutional right to gather And do not believe the lie that somehow when someone with a duke says you may not gather, that it is law. I'm telling you, we will never again, we will never again bow to any draconian laws and any dictator or any elite group of people around the world that formulate rules and regulations and who want to dictate to us how we can live, what we can do, what we shall preach, and what we shall not. We refuse to bow to the prophets of Baal. And we will not obey anything that is contrary to the Word of God. And they can come with Romans 13. They can come with that. We respect the rules and the regulations as far as it does not contradict the Word of God. There are many things that God declares legal that certain constitutions of certain countries around the world declares illegal. Then there are other things that constitutions around the world declares legal that God's word clearly says is illegal. In fact, it's an abomination. And so we have to understand that while we are called to submit to authority, there is an authority 
that is higher than any authority that is on the earth. Romans 13 says we should honor those who are placed in a position of authority because the only reason they are even there is because God allows it. The authorities that we have today comes from the authority that God has given them. But God will not contradict himself. And this is why we have to stand for something. We have to stand. And they will come with, threat, uh, with all kinds of threats. They will try and imprison. They can't imprison us all. And if they imprison me, I'll just start a revival in the, in the prison. You see, you have to get to the place where you understand that my life is not my own. That I have died with Christ. You can't threaten a person who's already died with death. What can man do to me? Nothing. And that is the boldness that needs to rise up on the inside of every single one of us. To not succumb to the pressures of this world. And also this is why we need to operate in a place of financial dominion. Where you can position yourself in such an incredible way and in such an incredible capacity that even the president of this country would have to knock on your door before he decides to go down a particular direction because he knows it's going to cost him. Influence. Godly influence. And walking in financial dominion. Understand what we are talking about. This is not just having what you have and living a comfortable life. This is not what it means to walk in financial dominion. Walking in financial dominion even goes beyond just mere prosperity. It is knowing that whatsoever you put your hand to, that it will produce. Having the upper hand in any negotiation. Walking into a room and while you might even be considered to be the most unqualified or least qualified person in the room, those with the qualifications and the years of experience look to you for the solution. They want to hear from you. They will not close or adjourn the meeting without first hearing from you. So here's a couple of kingdom principles that we need to adhere to and apply in order for us to walk in the fullness our financial dominion. Number one is we need to get our priorities straight. What do I mean by that? To put first things first. What should be first? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Financial dominion or walking in financial dominion does not mean serving your own needs. Or accomplishing your own goals. 
It speaks of seeking first the kingdom of God. That your life is not your own. That your goals that you might have, although there's nothing wrong in having your own goals and having dreams and desires and seeing those things met, it's not pursuing those things at the cost of others. Getting our priorities straight, seeking first the kingdom. Matthew 6.33 it says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things shall be added unto you. When you look at this from the Greek perspective, it is obviously written in the present tense. And what does it then mean to seek? That word seek, what does it mean? As it is written in the present tense, it actually comes down to four distinct words in Greek, consciously, continuously, constantly, and consistently. Now, to someone who might not be as proficient with the English language, you would think that all four of these things just really mean the same thing. But although it is, and although there are certain overlaps, they are actually distinct. Consciously speaks of in a deliberate and intentional way. It has to be intentional. Seeking first the kingdom is not just something we say, well, I'm seeking first the kingdom. No, 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 you're not. You're not. Sit down. You're going to hurt yourself. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. It, it requires intentionality. That means before you close that business deal, you have considered how will this advance the kingdom of God? Before taking this next step, how will this help to advance the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven? Deliberate and intentional. Continuously, what does that mean? It means without interruption or gaps. There's no gap. So there's never an off season. It's never a thing of, well, I've done what I needed to do. You know, I'm done for the day. There cannot ever be a time that you switch off to the things of God. Please don't misinterpret. I'm not saying, you know, don't go and, go and watch a movie. Don't go and play a round of golf. Don't go and play some rugby. Don't engage in any hobby or activity. That I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that even while you do those things, you have to understand that God is there, that God is a part of it, and that God wants to be part of every part of your life. Without interruption or gaps, constantly. What does that mean? Continuously over a period of time, always. And then finally, consistently. What does that mean? In every case or on every occasion. Someone once said that if the kingdom of God is not first, it doesn't matter what is second. And even as we heard this morning, as Francis so eloquently shared once more, on the importance of putting God first, even when it comes to the area of our tithe. That the tithe is holy. It is set apart. God looks at our tithe, the 10% of our gross income, and God declares that that first part is holy. It is set apart. It belongs to Him. And when we withhold it, or when we decrease that amount, we are robbing God. And so even in that area, we find just how vital, how important it is to first honor God by trusting Him enough to say, Lord, with this first 10%, by 
giving and bringing back our tithe to the local church, to the place that feeds us spiritually. We acknowledge that you are the source of our life, that you are the source of our prosperity and abundance, that we choose to put you first. Number two is to have a prosperity mentality. This is what I was challenging even a little bit earlier. It's about a mindset. Because poverty is a spirit. Poverty is a curse. Proverbs 23 and verse 7 in the King James says, For as he thinketh in his heart, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. It all starts with how you think. Your thoughts towards something. And specifically your thoughts towards prosperity or then even poverty. If you constantly want to embrace or even justify poverty as your normal, it will always be your normal. But the shift takes place when you develop a holy disdain or a holy discontent towards poverty. Where you look at poverty and you look at what it is and the effects of poverty in your life and how you've had to grow up and the effects of poverty even in the generations that have gone before you. When you consider your, your, your dad, when you consider your granddad, when you consider your great-granddad, and, 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 and. And all you ever see is poverty and lack and all of the other things that flow from poverty. Where it has to come to a point where you say, I distance myself from this. I no longer want this. This is not my portion. And you develop a holy disdain, a holy disgust towards poverty and lack. But then also when you begin to embrace the fact that God wants me to prosper. That God has blessed me, has given me the ability to produce wealth. And that is the shift that needs to take place. So number two is to have a prosperity mentality. Why? Because if you think poverty, you will live poverty. Bishop Oyedepo once said that if it's too big for your mouth, it is too big for your hand. In other words, you will not be able to take possession of something that you cannot even speak. Because we have been conditioned to believing certain things. And therefore also it dictates as to what we are able to speak, what we are able to say. Because there are people, and maybe you are here this morning, when it might even be that deep down your desire might be to own your own home. But you cannot even find yourself to speak those words because no one in the generations that's gone before you have ever been able to achieve that goal. And you know that if you were to even say to some of your friends and family, I'm believing to own my own home. Or when you even then acquire that home, when you purchase that home, when you get the keys to that home, 
There will be those who would say this and they would say that. And because of that environment and what people might even think and what people might even say, there are many Christians who do not even pursue greatness, who do not pursue that which belongs to them and that fact that God has called them and made them to prosper. Why? Because of their surroundings. And if you cannot even find yourself to say it, you will not be in a position to hold it in your hand. Number three is to work hard. Work hard. People love to over-spiritualize this particular point. Where they negate their responsibility of working hard. And all they do is push that responsibility towards God. Well, if God wants me to prosper, he's going to have to make it happen. I don't know why I'm not prospering. Because the Bible made it clear that whatsoever you put your hand to shall prosper. If you're not putting your hand to anything, it cannot and it will not prosper. It's like understanding the mathematical equation of what it means to multiply something by zero. You could multiply zero with one billion, it's still zero. You can multiply zero with one trillion, it's still zero. And so it's not as though God does not want to bless you. He wants to. And if God says that even this morning, I will bless you 100-fold, you have to ensure you put something into his hands. Give him something to bless and multiply. When Jesus told the disciples, listen, you're going to feed this crowd, 12,000 people, 5,000 men, women and children, about 12,000 people in total. In essence, it means that every one of the 12 disciples were responsible for feeding a 1,000 people. Well, Jesus, we don't have anything. Yes, well, you don't have anything to give them in terms of what you need to give them. And then they said, well, all we have, and Jesus could have already just stopped them there, that's all I need. All we have is but some fish and some bread. A single boy's lunch. That's all we have. That's all you need. And what happened next gives us, in essence, the, the way in which we all need to approach Jesus when we are believing for multiplication is we need to put that which we have. It doesn't have to be much, but the motivation should be faith. When we approach him by faith, irrespective of the amount, the act of simply placing something into his hands is what ultimately leads to the multiplication thereof. Not only did they feed the 12,000 people, but there were 12 baskets filled with bread and fish. So the disciples walked away that day 
with a backpack filled with food to be able to sustain them for the journey ahead. So work hard. Second Thessalonians 3.10 in the King James, it says, For even when we were with you, this we commanded you. So Paul is busy writing and he says, listen, when I was with you, I gave you this commandment. And by the way, this is New Testament. This is not Old Testament. This is New Testament. And Paul says, while I was with you, I gave you this commandment. That if any would not work, neither should he eat. And once more we find how the governments of the world have turned this whole thing upside down. Instead of teaching a generation how to fish, we have taught them to be content with the fish that comes from the government's bowl. And this is why we need to understand that the way of the world is not the way of the kingdom. Jesus made it clear that the kingdom that he is the king of is not of this world. He operates by means of a different government, a different set of rules, a different way and approach. You see, if only we can actually ingrain this in the hearts and the minds of our young people in this nation. To not just be content with 350 rands from government. I mean, South Africa only has about 2 million taxpayers that's responsible to pay for everything. And we find ourselves 10, 20 times more of the taxpayer base that is actually dependent on government grants. So you look at that equation, and you do not have to be an economist, you do not have to be a mathematician to realize that the math does not add up. Sooner rather than later, we are going to be faced with a situation where there is no more money. And while there are many who look at that as a potential day zero, but think about this. Is this not the opportunity then when a government truly has its back against the wall with no more answers that it gets to a place where we are able to say, I have a solution. I have an answer. In Psalm 1 verse 3, it says, And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. So you have to do something. You have to apply yourself to doing something. It doesn't mention specific things, specific trades, specific industries. It says, listen, whatsoever you do, just do something. That whatsoever you do, 
You can bank on the fact that you will be blessed. Proverbs 14, 23. It says that in all labor, there is profit. In all labor, there is profit. One of the things that we need to get back to once more in South Africa is where we actually teach young people how to work with their hands. How to make something, how to build something, how to repair something. Because the problem is, is that, you know, young people see all of these kinds of different jobs that are available where they try and make it seem as though you can generate this huge amount of passive income without any real work, without any hard work. You can work only one hour a day. And then they've got these videos and photos of people just on the beach of some tropical island, yachts, private jets. Do you know the majority of people who make those videos, they just rent those things? In America right now, you can go and rent. You can rent the Bentley. You can rent the private jet. It's rentals. They never even take off with the plane. I mean, they do all of that just on the tarmac. They just park the plane. They park the Bentley in front of the plane. You can pose for a couple of power poses. You can take your videos. You can sit in the, in the plane, look out of the window, you know. Do your short. The overwhelming majority of those things are fake. It's a rental. You simply purchase a time slot, 30 minutes or an hour, depending how long you want, and you can take as many photos and videos as you'd like. I mean, they even have some actors who dress up as a pilot standing there. So, I mean, you, you, you can do it all. In today's society, you can really fake it, and sadly, very few ever even make it. So do not believe all the lies and all the things that we see. There's nothing wrong with hard work. There's nothing wrong with a man, with a young man who's got some blisters and who's got some oil and who's got some things on his hands. We have bought into lies from the pit of hell. All labor is profitable, the Bible declares. Number four is to be a man or a woman marked by integrity. So you need to ensure that your integrity remains intact. In Job chapter 1, verse 1 to 3, we read this in the Amplified Classic. It says, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright, and one who reverently feared God and abstained from and shunned evil because it was wrong. I mean, how more plainly can you and should you put it? He shunned all evil because it was wrong. Can we all just get back to this place where we understand that there are, there are things that are good, there are things that are bad. And that we will not be partakers of that which is bad because it is evil 
And it is not something that we should be associated with. Verse 2. And there were born to him seven sons and three daughters. Verse 3. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very great body of servants. So that this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. The equivalent of that time, the richest man in the world. Why? Because he was a man of integrity. He could discern between good and evil. And he made a decision to abstain from that which is evil. And to grab hold of and to be a partaker of that which is good. Number five. The importance of bestowing honor. Giving honor where honor is due. We need to understand that honor gives access. Honor gives access. When you honor someone, you gain access to that person. I'm not suggesting bribing. I'm not suggesting throwing and splashing your money around to get the attention of wicked people. That's not what I'm saying. We just spoke of the importance of being a man or a woman of integrity. So when we talk about honor, it's about even the little things. Because you see, even as a pastor, I can tell you how many times people would honor you with their lips. But their actions do not match their words. And so honor is something that has to be felt. It's not just something that should be heard. It's something that should be felt. We all know this portion of Scripture in Matthew chapter 10, which talks about honoring a prophet. But do you actually know the rest of that verse? Because it does not just speak of honoring a prophet. It says this, He that receiveth a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And that's typically the verse that we quote as though there's a full stop, but it doesn't end there. And he that receiveth a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. You see, the Bible declares that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. The determining factor of whether or not Sodom and Gomorrah would be totally and utterly obliterated, swept off the face of the earth, was whether or not they would be found, men and women, to be righteous. The reason why Noah enjoyed favor with God was because God looked upon him and found him to be a man of righteousness. I can tell you the one thing that I have been intentional about when it comes to my life and how I've conducted myself is to ensure that my integrity remains intact. There are groups of people I have had to walk away from 
Although it was profitable for me to be associated with them, and there's many rewards involved in being associated with that group, but it would have meant compromising my integrity. And so there are decisions I've had to make. Walking away from groups and even individuals, from situations, for the sake of my integrity. Things that I cannot be associated with. And there are things that I'm not even able to justify myself from an outward point of view. Because in part of, of, of keeping your integrity in check also means that when you walk away from a group of people because of evil, wicked things taking place that's not yet known to the general public. It doesn't mean that I'm going to be the one to walk out and be the one to necessarily expose everything, making it in the public. And also understanding honor, giving honor where honor is due. Not just with my lips, not just with my mouth, but in my actions, in my deeds. Which is why even Chantal and myself, when we served another man and another woman of God for so many years, we were willing to do whatever it took. I mean, I've said this before, but I mean, here my wife was as the lead pastor of the church. When Pastor Andre and Jenny would come from the United States and get ready for the first Sunday, I mean, she would already have washed their clothes, dry cleaned. She would steam Pastor Jenny's garments. She would iron Pastor Andre's shirts, you know, get the suit, everything ready. Serving. Sometimes we would even go to their home, you know, get their home ready. There was a time when, when we actually lived in their home for a, for a period of time. And then when we finally got our home, they had to move in there. And we made sure that we had purchased brand new things for them. We were not just going to use the things. And then even if something has a little tear, well, well it was old, you know. Those things are bound to happen. No, we, we, we have brand new things. We wanted to ensure that when they walk in, it's, it's a blessed environment. And this is what it means to honor. This is what it means to walk in a, in a, in a relationship where you honor, to bestow honor. And then finally in closing is this. Number six, to be audacious. Last week I spoke of the significance and importance of being relentless, not giving up. Being audacious really walks hand in hand with what it means to be relentless. Audacious means extremely bold or daring, recklessly brave, fearless, extremely original, without restriction to prior ideas, highly inventive. Recklessly bold in defiance of convention, propriety, law, or the like. Lively, unrestrained, uninhibited. 
That's what it means to be audacious. And the reason why I needed to stress this even again this morning when we talk about these different keys and kingdom principles that unlock the mystery of financial dominion is because there are those Christians who work hard. They start out working hard. They start out even seeking first the kingdom. But because of life having a way to shove you and push you and try to trip you along the way, they give up. Or when they look at the mountain that the Lord has called them to climb and occupy until he comes. They hear the cries of the giants who currently occupy that mountain and they get afraid. Then they retreat and then they spread a negative report. You say, how is that possible? How many times have you heard that the business world is no place for a Christian? Speak for yourself. How many times have you heard people say, politics is no place for a Christian? Speak for yourself. Just because you did not have the grace or the anointing or the calling doesn't mean that there are not those whom God has called, whom God has anointed, whom God has positioned to be able to take that mountain for His glory. In Joshua 1 verse 7 God specifically tells Joshua, in fact, this was the second time, and then right after this, in verse 9, God says it again. But three times in Joshua chapter 1, God says to Joshua, be strong and very courageous. It comes down to having an audacity. So many times, you know, when we talk about this word audacity, it's a, there's a negative connotation we put to it. Because you would say to someone, you know, that you would have the audacity to say something like that. That you would have, that this person would have the audacity. But that is supposed to be the way the devil responds to you. That this Christian has the audacity. That you, insert your name here, has the audacity to tell me no. That this person has the audacity to turn his back on this multi-million dollar deal for the sake of his or her integrity. And this is what it means to be audacious and to walk in the fullness of all that God has for us. And so this morning, I want to end off with a prayer. And then next week is going to be a powerful time of impartation. And it's going to be a time of, of a lot of emphasis that we're going to place on, on the gifts of the Spirit. And so I want to urge you already to be part of next week. We're going to be laying hands on people, praying for people. I'm believing for the Lord to even minister to you in the area of the prophetic gift. But that's going to be next week. For this morning... I wanted to simply just lay down the foundation and in essence conclude that which we've been dealing with this entire month of what it means to occupy. And so Lord, I pray that every single one of us
would grab a hold of this message today. That even among those who are here this morning are those whom you have called and anointed to become true kingdom financiers. Men and women of God who are influencers in their own right. People that you have called and have blessed to become multi-millionaires. For prosperity to come to their lives. I pray that every single one will overflow. That we will understand that poverty is a spirit and a curse. And that we will expel poverty from our lives, from our family, from our homes, from our business, our ministries, once and for all. And that we will hold on to the promise from your word that we are to prosper. We receive this as our portion today. And I thank you that you delight, even to this day, in the prosperity of your people. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening all the way to the end. If you'd like to help Kevin and Chantel reach and impact this generation, thank you in advance for sharing this episode with your world. If you have enjoyed Dominion today, follow Kevin and Chantel on Instagram, Facebook, and your favorite podcast platform, or connect with them online at dominion.org.za.